you reach that point where you're thinking, I probably should be a grown-up by now, I bet it has come with a bit of a sinking feeling and a list of all the things that you think you probably should know by now, particularly around money and how that impacts on your life. I'm Kristen, expert financial planner, educator and certified financial coach. Every fortnight, my guests and I will discuss how the UK financial system works, what financial products are available, and importantly, how they can fit with your life decisions, connecting you with your own relationship with money. Welcome to the Do I Have to Adult Now podcast. Hello, welcome to today's episode. This is going to be a whistle-stop tour around bank accounts and overdrafts. So it may feel like quite a simple episode, but I am really conscious that some of my listeners are younger and may not have a lot of experience with bank accounts. I'm also aware that we have people who listen who were not born in the UK and are using the podcast to learn a bit more about the UK financial system. So I'm going to cover off the bases regarding banking and overdrafts so I know that we have done it. If you are interested in things like savings accounts and ISAs and credit cards and things like that, we are going to cover all of that in future episodes. So depending on when you're listening to this, you can have a little look in the list of episodes and see if we have covered that already. If not, we are going to get to it. So basic bank accounts in the UK tend not to cost money uh, for you as the account holder. Most basic bank accounts, which are there to handle your everyday transactions provide you with a debit card um, that you can pay for goods and services and withdraw cash from the the, uh, the cash machine um, or the ATM, um, tend not to come with a fee. They're unlikely to offer anything substantial in the way of interest. Although if you can commit to a regular monthly um credit to the account. So that might be through um, your earnings or your wages. Some banks will offer a higher rate of interest for a regular credit. If that credit is over a certain amount, so maybe if you can commit to £500 a month, they will offer a higher rate of interest up to say £5,000. So especially if you're looking for a new bank account, you could look around and see what is on offer, depending on what your circumstances are. If you already have a bank account open, often in order to encourage you to switch to a new bank, there will be incentives in place. So for example, there might be an incentive to switch from one banking um, institution to another and they will pay you say £120 in cash if you move everything over. So depending on what your current situation is would depend on what kinds of bank account you were looking at. But as I said, in the simplest of forms, they're there to deal with your everyday transactions, your direct debits and your standing orders. Um, and they tend not to charge you a fee for that. So I said a little bit of jargon there. I said direct debits and standing orders. So just to explain those, 
a direct debit is where you have given the authority to a company um, who are maybe providing you with a, a product or a service, or you maybe have arranged finance with them. It might be, for example, um, your council tax payment might be paid via direct debit. It might be your mobile phone bill. And it's where you've given authority to that provider to take the money directly from your bank account as it falls due. Now, most of the time, if you can set up a standing order for your regular expenses, this tends to be the simplest way of making sure all of your expenses get paid for. Um, And a lot of companies will charge less if you are paying via direct debit because it's easier for them as well. So a standing order is slightly different, but kind of similar. So a standing order is where you are sending money to a different bank account. So you might have a savings account set up and you would put in place a standing order to send money every month to that savings account. So a direct debit, you are giving the authority to someone else to collect what they need or what you owe. And a standing order is where you're choosing to send that money somewhere. Um, So when I said you generally don't pay for your bank account, um, what you do pay for is fees and charges if you're not running that bank account in the way the bank would expect to see. So for example, if you have direct debits set up and you don't have enough money in the bank to cover those direct debits as they fall due, you may find that the bank will charge you a financial penalty for that because then there's extra work involved in them having to sort that out, apparently. Anyway, um, but there will be a a fee or a charge for that. Some uh, bank accounts you will pay for and you may pay a monthly amount. Now, why would you do this? It tends to be because the bank has offered additional services or products that you will benefit from by the payment of the fee. So it might be that you have, for example, an interest-free overdraft facility. I'm going to talk about overdrafts shortly. It might be um, gadget insurance. It might be holiday insurance. Um, It might be special privileges if you are going to spend money abroad. So, Whatever the bank is offering in exchange for the monthly fee, it's a good idea to really consider, do I need or want these extra services that I am being offered? If you don't, then you have to wonder why you're paying the fee. So that's basic bank accounts, really, in a nutshell. I mentioned overdrafts. Um, and overdraft facilities. So I will explain what they are. If you 
have made an agreement with your bank that they will offer you an overdraft facility. What that means is that you can spend all of your money that you have in the bank account and then you can use some of the bank's money. You can effectively bring the balance of your bank account under zero up to a certain limit. Now, this can range from anything, from, from you know, 20, 30, 50 pounds, up to thousands of pounds, depending on how reliable the bank thinks you and your regular deposits are. But if you're given an overdraft facility, if you then use that facility and you do take your balance under zero, the next time that money is credited into your bank account, it will effectively top up the overdraft facility back to a balance of zero and then and then move on from there. You're repaying your overdraft. So although your overdraft facility may be permanently on your account, you would normally only temporarily go overdrawn. Interestingly, having an overdraft facility is a positive in terms of your credit reference and your credit file, as long as you're not permanently overdrawn. So it's a balance of how often you would use your overdraft. And for most people, the ideal would be to not be using your overdraft facility, but have it there in case of emergency. You might be thinking, well, why would I want one? Like, why would I even want an overdraft facility if I'm in danger that it might affect my credit history and, and then it's going to put me in a position where I am in a negative as far as my balance is concerned? Well, for some people, it might be that bills um, such as rent or mortgage or car payments will fall due before they get paid their monthly salary. And it might just be a day or two that they effectively need to borrow money from the bank on the overdraft, it being repaid when they get their salary again. As I say, if you can avoid having and using an overdraft, that's probably a really great financial position to be in. However, the facility is there for you to be able to use if that fits with your circumstances. What banks don't like us to do as customers is to go overdrawn, so bring our balance down below zero without asking their permission. We call this an unauthorised overdraft. And this you will be charged a penalty for. Banks don't want you to do that. So if you're looking at your financial situation and you think that it's entirely possible that there are going to be times where you may go overdrawn, then maybe have a conversation with your bank and see if you can organize an overdraft facility. Because if you know that it's going to happen but you know that your wages are going to be paid back into your account and bring you back into a positive balance, that might be a better idea to have an approved overdraft than one that isn't because you're at least not going to get those financial penalties for going overdrawn without permission. So 
when we're looking at whether or not we want an overdraft, and I do urge caution on them because they can spiral out of control. And also the interest on them is so high. It used to be that a credit card had a higher rate of borrowing interest than an overdraft. But now it is not unusual to see the interest being charged on an overdrawn bank account being between 18, 19%, even up to 40% APR, as we call it, the annual percentage rate, which is a reflection of how much the bank is going to charge you for keeping your bank account overdrawn. So you're compounding the problem if we're leaving a bank account overdrawn for a longer period of time and we're adding on all of that interest. So that is how they work. That is what they are. But as I said, I would urge caution of using an overdraft facility if you can um, at all avoid it. I'm aware that overdraft facilities are granted to students while they are at university as a way of of helping um, to pay for your living accommodation and the expenses that you have for any of the students who are listening. Please do just bear in mind, there will be a limited amount of time after you have finished your university or your college um, studies And when your banking uh, institution is going to ask you to repay that overdraft. So please do bear that in mind. Um, I've heard some terrible stories of people coming out of university with thousands of pounds on an overdraft. And then within a few months, the banker said, well, you're not a student now. We need to to reduce this overdraft facility. And that, if you're not financially prepared for it, can create a lot of stress and a lot of extra anxiety and also costs a lot of money in additional interest payments and things of that sort. That's your basic bank account. That's your overdraft. We then have savings accounts, basic savings accounts, which can run alongside your current account as well. Now, you don't have to have your savings account with the person that has given you the current account. They they can be separate if you wish. Um, But a savings account is likely to provide you with interest. Um, How much interest is going to depend on what the Bank of England base rate is at the time and what the um, the provider of the account is willing to offer. But the idea of a savings account is just that. It's more longer term. We're not really expecting payments to be coming out on a regular basis. It's more likely that we are funding payments in. Um, and so you tend to find the interest will be offered on balances that are a expected to be higher than that that you would maybe keep in a current account. This is separate to an ISA. As I've said, we'll cover ISAs in a different episode, but that's just a straightforward savings account. Now, some savings accounts will have a fixed term on them. So it might be that the money you put into your savings, you're expected to leave there for 12 months or two years. 
in order to get the interest that is being advertised. And if you take the money out before that time period is um, expired, then you won't get the interest that you were expecting. In some cases, you won't have the facility to take that money back earlier than the time allows. So if you are going to commit to a savings account with a 12 month or a two years or a five year period, you need to check out the terms and conditions of that account to see whether or not the money can be accessed early And if it can, what would be the financial penalties involved for doing that? In the same way, regular deposits into savings accounts can attract a higher level of interest. So it might be, for example, that if you can commit to saving at least £200 a month, you're going to get a higher rate of interest than if you um, just put £100 in here and there and, and it's not a regular commitment. So again, when we're looking um, online for the best bank accounts or the best savings accounts, we need to have a look at what the criteria is in order to get those rates of interest or those additional benefits. The other type of savings accounts that we can come across are um, notice accounts. So this might be 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And what that means is, is that you have to tell the bank that you are going to want to withdraw that money after the set period of time, the 30 days, the 60 days, whatever it is. Again, they'll offer a higher rate of interest if you are willing to do that. Um, it's because they can, they have got the certainty of knowing what money they can use in the background if Um, they have taken deposits off people and they know that they've got to have notice before they pay them back. So when we're looking at doing anything with regard to bank accounts and committing to opening them, what we want to do is be looking at what would be the financial penalties if things don't go quite according to plan. If I um, go over my overdraft, if I don't pay my direct debits if I need to access my savings early. Because if everything's going well, then great, everything's going well. But if if we've, you know, life happens and we've got some problems, we kind of need to know what would be the situation then as well. Now, when you go to open a bank account, and this is is will be the same if you go into a branch or if you open it online, um, you are probably likely to be expected to prove your identity, who you are and where you live. If that can be done by the banking institution electronically, if they can find you through, um, you know, on the electoral roll and, and things like that electronically, then that's fine. Otherwise, they may be asking you to upload um, you know, photographic identification and proof of where you live, or they might ask you to go into a branch to do that sort of thing. They're also likely to do some sort of credit search as well. This is to make sure that you haven't, um, you know, had banking problems elsewhere um, to, to help to combat things like fraud and money laundering. All of these things are done as standard. So don't feel 
if you go to open a current account or a, or a savings account and you are asked these things, that you are being singled out in any way. This is what our government and the sort of the regulation that comes in this country from the Financial Conduct Authority, these are the things that, that banks have to do. They have to prove who you are and where you live and that you are who you say you are because of these reasons. So please don't feel if that happens that, that it's something about you as an individual because it's unlikely to be that. It's a process that everybody has to go through um, in order to get those, those open. Now, development in technology has meant that some banks are not on the high street, okay? Some banks only exist um, online and often they will link to your own current account, especially online savings accounts. You have to deposit money and take money out via an existing current account, but then there are some other banks, I'm thinking people like Starling Bank, who exist online um, and you can pay money in cash money via the post office. And that's how you would maybe deposit money um, via cash. So technology is really an advanced the offering from from banks. And we also have people like Plum or Monzo who are, um, again, banking institutions, but where they do the majority of their transactions through an app on your mobile phone. Now, I'm a big advocate for having more than one bank account, if, if you can. And if you have listened to the episodes on budgeting, you'll understand why. If you haven't, go and listen to the episode on budgeting. Um, but I think that when we're looking at making savings or we're making plans for the future to have our money allocated to different accounts that are going to do different things for us um, is a really good way of of dividing up our income and knowing exactly where our money is and, and how we're spending it, how we're saving it. So, one of the things that I definitely would ask you to check with any banking app, with any online bank um, and with the high street banks is do check that they are covered by the financial services compensation scheme and be aware of what that is. So in a very brief um, description, if your banking institution were to fail, if it were to go bust, if it were to go out of business, as long as it is covered by the financial services compensation scheme, the money that you have deposited with them will be returned to you in full if it is under £85,000. Now, that's £85,000 per person per banking license. Now, that's quite an important thing to understand because some banks operate under the same banking license. So you'll find that they are actually of the same banking group, even if their trading name is different. So if you think that there is a chance that you will accumulate more than 85,000 pounds in a in a 
bank account, you want to be sure that these are in different accounts with different banking licenses, just in case the bank fails. That compensation limit is increased temporarily if, for example, you'd sold a house and you had the proceeds for it and things like that. But in general, it's an £85,000 limit. So if you ever hear anybody talking about that limit um, in case any if a case a bank goes bust, that's what they're talking about. It's a compensation scheme that is put in place by the government that banking institutions have to adhere to. So if they go if they go out of business, their customers are protected. And you can make sure that any apps that you are using are covered by that and that they are regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA. That is the main regulator in the UK. They regulate banks and investment houses and people like myself who are financial advisors. Um, So you want to make sure that whoever you are depositing your money with um, has got these provisions in place because not only does it protect your money if something goes wrong, but it also means that the organisation is going to be um, adhering to compliance procedures and making sure that um, everything is being done as we would expect for it to be done um, in the vast majority of cases. So that's an overview of the basic bank accounts and how overdrafts work and a little bit about the regulation in the UK. I'm going to have some links in the show notes to things like the FCA and to the financial um, compensation scheme. So you can read a little bit more about that as well. But if you have any other questions or your um you'd like a little bit more guidance on this, then feel free to contact us um, and we will do our best to answer queries and things like that. But hopefully that has given you the basics and given us a good foundation to move on to learning about some other things regarding savings, ISAs and things of that sort. Thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed the episode. If you have, please subscribe, please leave us a review and please share the podcast with your community. I hope that what you have heard in the podcast is helpful to you. However, it is not personal financial advice. My guests and I cannot be responsible for your financial decisions. If you do wish to take personal financial advice or you have any other questions for us, please contact me through the contact details in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And yes, you probably do have to adult now.